Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host for this show. And thanks for being here. Let me start off that way. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. We literally wouldn't be here without you. So thank you very much for that, for destroying your bodies to foster the next generation of humanity. God help us all. Uh, we are. Uh, so thank you for the words that. there, Robert. What? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have phrased it quite that crudely, but thank you. Well, I mean, look, my mom is fond of saying she passed through the valley of the shadow of death to bring me into the world, so. I mean. Which, yeah. is, not, which is not inaccurate for any, you know, birth. It's I not mean, a pleasant experience. Like, I mean, when you're trying to honor Mother's Day, I probably wouldn't put it that way, but go ahead. Go on. Again, the, you know, again mothers put up with a lot of crap. They do a lot to themselves physically, to their mental health, their psychological well-being to bring up those to bring up again the next generation of humanity. And thank you all very much for that. Again, be that biological mothers, stepmothers, adopted mothers, whatever. Uh, thank you all very much for that. We, uh, I feel safe to say that the mo- the majority of us do not deserve the amount of time and energy and sacrifice you've put into us. So, thank you very much for that. Uh, on the docket this evening, a review of last night's UFC 237 event that was about what was expected, I think, all things considered. We'll be previewing UFC on ESPN Plus 10. That is this coming Saturday, and the UFC is in. They're in Rochester for that event. Uh, so we'll run down that card. And then the news, such as some buy rate information coming out about UFC 236 and uh, yeesh. Plus, the UFC announced dates for the rest of the year of 2019. Not a lot of venues, but a lot of dates, so some stuff that's still being sorted out there. But we can touch briefly on that. A few fights got made, including one lightweight barn burner I'm particularly excited about. So we'll get to all that later. Uh, you already heard him briefly, but Jeff Harris is back with us this evening. Jeff, how you doing? Nice to have you back. I'm very happy the rookie beat the cancellation bear at least this once, so we're getting another season of the rookie. Unfortunately, Whiskey Cavalier is no more. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. See, simple, to the point, and no little offhanded lines about mothers destroying their bodies. I mean, they do. So respect your, respect your mothers, people. You can res. I think you can respect Mother's Day without quite putting it that way. But I mean, yeah, and people with actual futures in broadcasting wouldn't phrase like it the way I do. Comedy speech. I'm not going to say thank you for destroying your bodies to bring us into the world because I mean, not all mothers have terrible bodies if you know what i mean oh oh for the no no that's not what i meant i mean if, look the the pregnancy and birthing process does yes, it, 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 it 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 alters the female body i'm aware yes i'm aware of the biology yeah but the, the human body the, the the female body is also built to to birth more than one child yes correct? you would agree with that correct yeah so, i mean it's not 
you know, I just feel like putting it in the... We're going on a tangent here, I'm sorry, but I I don't know. Just your, the way you put it kind of just low-key irked me a little bit. My apologies for irking you. All yeah, right. First time you've ever apologized. <laughs> but thank I, you. I don't think it's the first, but it's one of the few. So. One of the few. <laughs> I'd have to double check, but I'm not going back through all of our audio together. That's too much of it. All right. Last night, UFC 237. And you can tell I don't edit any of this, folks, because that conversation would have been cut. <laughs> UFC 237. That conversation. Eh, there's a lot of stuff that I would cut if I had that opportunity. But <laughs> anyway, UFC 237 last night, the UFC was back in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil at the Junessi Arena. And I think if you looked at this card on paper and then how it played out, it was probably, I think a lot of this played out largely to expectation. Maybe not all the results, but the fights that you looked at on paper and thought would be good were pretty good. The fights that you looked at on paper and thought were sad were sad. So. Uh, main event, Jessica Andrade becomes the new women's strawweight champion by knocking out Rose Namajunas with a slam at 258 of the second round. Um, ooh, boy, was this. This was a fight. Um, that fight delivered, though. It absolutely did. Rose, uh, I said one of the reasons I picked Jessica Andrade last week was I was... Not sure that Rose would have the ring generalship to really kind of keep Andrade off of her consistently. And that did kind of wind up being her downfall. Inevitably, that became her downfall. But that first round, she was very, very mindful of her presence in the cage. What's so strange in that first round is like, that, that was like an amazing performance. That's like as good as we've ever seen Rose. I mean, yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, that transition where uh, Andrade lifted her up in a slam while she had the key lock, and then she transitioned from the key lock into an armbar attempt. And I mean, Andrade managed to get out of it, but that was that was like slick MMA grappling there, you know? Oh, yeah. That was a really slick sequence. Really, like, almost everything was like very, was picture perfect, high level MMA. Oh, her jab was on point, was lightning fast. She had really crisp one-twos. She was mindful about exiting on angles whenever Andrade tried to bum rush her. Rose looked great. Now, again, there was a couple of things that Andrade was able to do that I do think played into what happened in the second. Yeah. One was the leg kicks. It looked a little slower in the second. Did you notice that? Oh, yeah. There's two reasons I think she slowed down. One was the leg kicks that Andrade landed because those were pretty heavy. And, I mean, the leg kicks from Joanna, who has... Joanna's leg kick game is a lot more consistent than it is nasty, necessarily. But just, uh, but uh, Joanna gave her problems with there. leg kicks. You know they're there, but they aren't going to do all the damage. Yeah, she's, she's more an accumulation kicker than a heavy kicker, which is fine. Both styles have merits. I'm just surprised and, and, she did drawbacks. this technique again and it was able to work that last time. Yeah, there's a there's actually like two very specific reasons that worked, uh, which I'll get to in a second for those who are interested in minutia breakdown like that. The other thing that I think worked to Andrade's favor in the second again, the leg kicks were important because that hampered Rose's movement. The other was body shots. Uh, Rose is a little soft to the body. I mean, 
I've seen worse reactions to being hit in the body than uh, than I mean, but Rose, uh, Rose and Carolina, because uh, Carolina changed the entire complexion of that fight with two hard knees to the body from a clinch, and that was one of the worst reactions I've seen to being hit in the body. Not maybe not the worst, but that was up there. What about Rose's knee in the first round? That went to the head. Oh, that was. Because Rose timed a really nice one to Jessica's head when she was ducking in. That was a really nice piece of business. And almost finished the fight. Yeah, that, again, that caught her, again, leaning into it, dropped her. That was a really nice knee. You agree the first round was was 10-8? Because that was sort of my feeling. I don't disagree with it. I think think scoring it live, I said 10-9, very nearly a 10-8. So anyone who says 10-8, I don't disagree at all. And frankly, I probably should have gone 10-8. I mean, if we had these borderline marginal 10-9s, I feel yeah. like we could have that for 10-8s, too. Oh, yeah. Again, anyone who says 10-8 for Rose in that first, I don't disagree at all. That was uh, that was a beautiful round it's from a dom- Rose. It's a dominant round. Yeah, she just, again, she just chewed I, on Draj up with punches. I'm basically not expecting her to open up so strong, even after what she did to Joanna, but... Yeah, she she started unbelievably strong in this fight. And then again, in the second, a little bit of the body shots got to her. She stopped being as mindful of her positioning. And in the first round, when Jessica tried that big uh, high crotch head outside slam that she does, that's very reminiscent of the one Daniel Cormier does. Rose was able to negate it effectively with a kind of a Kimura double wrist lock. Now, there's some timing that was involved in this that's very important to understand why it worked in the first round and failed miserably in the second. The the key lock, again, the double wrist lock trap like that is primarily designed to either keep your opponent's hands from ever getting together in a grip or breaking them apart very, very quickly once they do grip. If you look at the actual lift from the first round, Jessica's hands are not together. That lets Rose extend the arm, that lets her offset the balance, it lets her get around, and then she actually like spins all the way across the shoulders of Andrade. So instead of the traditional like in high crotch lift, she actually gets more in uh, a situation kind of like the uh, the Lawler Askren slam, kind of like the uh, Kurt Angle's you know angle slam where she's across the shoulders, and then she just kind of floated around and still had the double wrist lock, which lets her set up for the ar- for the straight arm bar. In the second round, Jessica gets her hands together almost immediately. And then Rose goes to the double wrist lock to try and break them, but can't do it fast enough. Once those hands are really locked together, holding that double wrist lock like that just guarantees you're getting thrown. Because you're, you're not fighting anything else. You're just, you, again, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed that big slam. What compounded the problem was as Jessica lifted, Rose held on to the key to the the double wrist lock position. Daniel Cormier did a tremendous job of breaking down on commentary why that was a bad thing. And I'll paraphrase him. He obviously knows much more about this than I do. But if you watch when Cormier hits that same slam on guys like Gustafson, Dan Henderson and Josh Barnett and Gustafson and Barnett are huge men. They don't hold that kind of wrist lock. They kind of fight the hands a little bit, but once they start going, they both let go, and the momentum of the lift and slam carries them all the way over to land on their back flat, 
which is visually impressive and sucks because getting slammed is never fun. But you let go of any of that hand fighting because if you don't, when you go up and start coming down, your own arms being across your body holding on like that arrests the motion of your lower torso and your legs. So instead of going all the way around, you wind up not exactly perpendicular, but you instead of landing on your back, you wind up coming down on your head. That's exactly what happened to Rose. And that slam, she was basically out after that slam. A few more punches on the ground. Those were perfunctory. She was done. Uh, a really, really violent finish, which I'm always a fan of. Uh, and a really big comeback for Andrade. Again, she, she lost that first round badly. Uh, so a lot of credit to her for gutting through that. Uh, and again, for you know an eight-minute fight, this was pretty darn good. Uh, so credit to both women for that. It, it was it was a good fight. My fight of the night. Uh, I believe it was the official fight of the night as well. Uh, it was. So Andrade is your new women's strawweight champion, and uh, Rose Namajunas might be retiring. She kind of hinted at, at taking some, at taking a step back away from the sport after this. So flat out said, "I want to do something else with my life." So I mean, for at least a little bit, yeah. In her own words, not for at least. I mean, she said she's. I, I'm adding the at least know, a little. She bit. left the door open, but she flat out said, "I want, I want to do something else with my life." I think she could be done, but we'll see. And if she is, she has nothing to be ashamed of. She's had a darn good career, actually. Considering her her record is eight and four, came into the UFC at what? What was her record? Based like oh, like two or three and one. Okay. See, I thought she lost. Two, a- yeah, she was two and one coming in yeah, uh, at the time of her UFC debut. UFC two and one fought for the UFC title in her UFC debut, lost by submission, came back and beat. I mean, Joanna, who looked like an unclimbable mountain at that point. I think you would agree. Oh yeah. And then beat her again. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a completely different fashion, in many respects. I mean, I I mean. At eight and four, she's done more than most. I mean, Felice Herrig has never even fought for the title. And look at how long she's worked and toiled in her career. You know? Yeah. And Nama Yunus may have a short career, all things considered, but that's a very deceptive eight and four record. I mean, those those four losses are to, what, Tisha Torres, Carlos Barza, Karolina Kovalkiewicz, and Jessica Andrade. That's, that's some elite level opposition. Right. But and within that space of time to become the first wo- and to the first woman to beat Joanna at str- and to this- and beat her again. She beat her twice. She's the only that's woman that's that. beat Joanna at straw weight. I mean, that again. She has done, She has had an incredibly successful career. And and look, she is still a a very young woman. And you know. She's talked about wanting to have kids in the past, and she she might want to come back and fight again. That's that's completely her decision. But she has nothing to be ashamed of, and she's been a, a great presence in this sport. Um, and a lot of people are talking about her mental weakness or anxiety. I mean, yeah, so what? The, it, call her mentally weak all you want. She still beat Joanna 
beat her twice. And she even admits, like, part of the reason she fights is she's facing her fears. Donald Cerrone has talked about a lot of these things as well. There's, I cannot fault a fighter for being, for having some type of mental anxiety when they go into a cage. Robert, I can think of few jobs that are mentally as exhausting, stressful, taxing, and just overall insane as getting locked into a cage and fighting someone where you have to either knock them out or beat them into submission. Now, I'm not saying it's like as stressful or the same as being a soldier, a firefighter, a police officer, but you would probably agree there are a few jobs on this planet that could be as stressful as what Rose has been doing for a living these past several years. Now, fighting is an unbelievably mentally draining endeavor. It's, so, I mean, I mean, I mean consider, just think about it for just a minute. You're literally getting punched in the face for money. You're stepping into a circumstance where, I, not to be overly dramatic, but people die. I mean, there's a, I, I forget. Die, you're risking yourself to severe bodily harm and injury. Guys yeah, that, that have limbs broke, like just broken in two. Yeah, you risk. are you are very rarely the same person you that you know, as stepping out of the cage as you were so, stepping into it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and be an armchair critic or keyboard warrior and say no one has the right to criticize fighters or never call them mentally weak. But I am saying that yes, you can criticize Rose and call her mentally weak. But look at what she's done. I, yeah. I mean, look at look at the people Joanna Champion knocked off during her her run, where she defended the belt what five times, uh, something and, like that, and beat and beat Jessica Andrade during that run decisively. Like that, that's one right. of Joanna's crowning per, uh, performances for my Rose money. The, and Rose and Rose was the one who unseated her. So call her mentally weak all you want. She's still done more than pro than 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 what than what most women in this sport will never reach or never get to. So whatever. I, I think it's I think it's I'm not saying you, you can't criticize fighters and never I'm not saying you can never call fighters mentally weak. Because there are if, fighters out there who have issues look, with head games. Look, we are we are very critical of fighters. You and I and other people who have been on this show. But I just think to call to, to to criticize Rose by calling her mentally weak, I think it's kind of silly, you know, because I mean, maybe she has had mental anxiety, but look at what she's look at how she's been a, over to been able to overcome it time and time again. And it got her to the title, you know, mm -hmm. so I cannot and all that considering how just how mentally brutal mentally and physically brutal this sport is, I cannot fault her at all for wanting to possibly walk away if that's her decision, you know? Because uh, I, I agree. If she walks away now, hopefully she's made her money and saved her money well. Um, she can do other things. It sounds like she has a lot of things going on. She, she and Pat Berry might want to finally get married, and she might want to start a family. And once again... I'm not saying you can't have a family and you can't be a fighter, but 
if you do have a family and you're a female and you're a fighter, you do have to take a considerable amount of time off to to arrange that, correct? You would agree. Oh, yeah. I would absolutely. I mean, if nothing else, just uh, at, a, at a bare minimum, the pregnancy is about a year right. and a half to two years off. Even Ronda Rousey is, is taking time off now from her WWE career, and we don't know if she'll be back. Um, and that is, and that, and that's up to them. That is totally up to them. And I do not, I do not fault her one bit. I said, I congratulate her for what she's done and what she's accomplished considering not even, she's not even 30 years old. She's already accomplished more than, you know, the vast majority of us will ever accomplish in our athletically in our entire lives. How can you, I mean, I mean, how can you criticize her? I, I, I'm not saying you can't, but like, how? How does that make sense? It's, I mean, I don't get it at all, Robert. I mean, again, it, there's an objective, there's some objectiveness to that in the sense that if you want to talk about, because she's been open about uh, some, again, some yeah. of her anxiety issues and whatnot. And so. Yeah, but doesn't that make her, doesn't that make her that much more impressive that she's dealt with that and how she's overcome that in the cage? In a lot of, in some ways, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I, I'm just, I'm just, deb- I'm debating the internal, I'm debating the merits of the argument about it because, again, the fundamental kind of, kind of the premise there is, I feel like and the question I have to ask myself when answering that question is, is it more impressive to admit the weakness and overcome it, or to be so maniacally self-assured that the thought of you potentially you know losing or falling short never even enters your mind because both those things are very very impressive and i'm not sure the degree to which one is all that superior to the other but what you just did robert was the epitome of what they call a pregnant pause fair enough Okay, I just it was just an odd thing to consider because I haven't actually thought about whether or not I consider either of those approaches to the mental aspect of fighting to be superior to the other necessarily. What Rose done I mean, look, even if you put putting aside what Rose has talked about with her mental state and whatnot, just what she's accomplished is unbelievably impressive from a purely athletic standpoint, even if you take the mental side out of things. Just that once again, I I can't even imagine what, what 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 these men and women have to experience sometimes. It's probably I mean you are getting locked into a cage and you are and you are put in a scenario where you could where you are risking life and limb literally. And I ima- and I imagine the the only things that could be greater or closer are being in battle as a soldier or being a firefighter or, or a police officer where you're put in stressful, just high-risk situations. And there, there are very few jobs on this planet that probably come close to that. No, I agree. Now, I mean, look, some people might thrive on the, that adrenaline rush. I, oh, yeah. They are definitely those people. Well, I don't think Rose is... I don't think Rose is necessarily a weak person for having to deal with that either. 
No, no, like that. That's again. If you want to criti- if you want to talk about her mental state as it pertains to her fight game, I think that's one thing. I think. I mean, she's undeniably not a weak person. Now, I recall both of us predicted Andrade to win, didn't we? That is correct. Um, I mean, I guess I was surprised because of how dominant Rose was in the first round. And then I guess Andrade won in a way I didn't really expect her to win. I expected her to either win like a war of attrition or ultimate, and then, you know, you mix in her takedowns and grappling throughout the fight, or possibly even knock Rose out herself. She did knock out Rose, but I didn't expect her to, you know, just slam her on her head like that. But still, an impressive, from a finish, uh, from a finish standpoint, it was very impressive because, you know, you don't see that very often. No, you do game. not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this was only, I believe, the fourth UFC title fight to end via slam. Yeah, and, and the first one since the first fight between Matt Hughes and Carlos Newton. Now, what's interesting here is Andrade's champion now. Yoana is going back down to strawweight and is going to make another run for the title and could be fighting. Andrade again with with Andrade uh, with Andrade being the one holding the belt. Um, let's see. Does Yoana have her next fight lined up? I don't think anything's official yet. I know she announced she wanted to go back to strawweight, but other than that, I don't I'd think have to get anything like, specific. Title eliminator first, but it wouldn't. It, if Yoana is going to continue fighting, it wouldn't surprise me if if she's the one fighting Andrade for the belt uh, again this time. Yeah, and and frankly, I still favor Joanna in that fight. That's just again, it's not that Jessica's a bad fighter, but the way they match up just seems to heavily favor Joanna's style. So different because now we've seen Joanna get defeated in the UFC. Yeah, a few different times. So, and I don't know, maybe there is something in those losses that Andrade can kind of pick up on, but. A lot of her style is just so predicated on, and I don't mean this pejoratively, but for bullheaded, forward, persistent aggression. And Joanna's an exceptional matador. He's a good, just, yeah, she's very good at that. It's but again, it's Andrade has gotten better too. She has, and again, I wouldn't, I would not rule out an Andrade victory in a rematch the same way I was just because the first time they fought, it was my thought was, yeah, this is Joanna's fight. She's, again, just her footwork, her ring generalship. And uh, she even, you know, overperformed relative to my expectations in that respect. She, I mean, that that fight between those two is a master class in how to move around the ring against an aggressive opponent, how to perpetually punish them. And Joanna was also incredibly diligent about not clinching up with Jessica Andrade in that fight because Jessica's a ridiculously strong human being. I mean... It's it's a little bit crazy when you consider her size, what she's able to do from just a pure strength perspective. Because, I mean, she was throwing around women at 135 pounds, and now she's just ragdolling them at 115. She's a very very strong person physically. What do you do? You think Nina and Sarah could be fighting? Could be in that conversation soon? You think it's she's not? Uh, she's fighting Tatiana Suarez, right? Yeah. I, I can't remember. I think uh, that's yeah, the, the fight. at the next at the next pay per view at two thirty eight. 
So yeah, I think the winner of that could be in that conversation, I think. Don't you agree? Yeah, the winner of that fight's in the conversation. Um, you have Joanna in the conversation just by virtue of having beaten Jessica so lopsidedly previously. I just give Joanna another title shot right off the bat because, I mean, this is a good division, but it's not the most stacked division. It, it's it's in a bit of a transitional phase. I mean, Michelle Waterson's in the conversation somewhere. True. Uh, there's a few different ways they could go. Yeah, but but Michelle's not even in the top five, which is an odd. She might. She she probably should be. Again, that was an odd. That's an odd quirk of the rankings. I mean, Wiley Wiley Jong is in is number six. I don't know about that. Has she been doing good? Uh, Wei Zhang. He's 3 0, 19 and 1. Yeah, yeah, she's actually very good. I rem- there, There's another Chinese uh, woman in the strawweight division, I believe, Wu Yanan, who I confuse the two of them frequently when I just hear their names. But um, no, Zhang is like, she armbarred Jessica Aguilar. Personally, I, I would put Michelle over Wiley Zhang. Yeah. I'm, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Uh, Zhang is definitely more the future kind of thing, whereas he's a Michelle... Definite prospect, but I still think she's in, like, prospect mode. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Whereas, again, Michelle Waterson is kind of he's a proven in veteran. the space. Proven veteran. Yeah. Beat Carolina, which was a good win for her. So, yeah, there's a few different ways they can go with that. Um, I know some people were talking about an immediate rematch... Uh, again, Rose seems to be just like out for a while. If, if Rose wants a rematch and they want to go that way, maybe, but. I mean, again, I could see it because this was such. Let me be clear about this. I'm less. I'm always less sympathetic to immediate rematches if you get finished cleanly, and she did. There's that. That said, this was a very bipolar fight in the sense that. Rose was again dominant in the first, then lot, then was finished in the second. So again, if you wanted to make the argument, if everyone was really amenable, I could live with it. Wouldn't be my favorite thing in the world, but I again, it, it's I wouldn't be up in arms over it necessarily. Well, here's why I'm not keen on it. It's mainly because of Rose's mindset and what in her statements after the fight. It just doesn't sound like a great idea. Besides the fact that she got finished. She only defended her belt once, and I don't know. I just uh, no, no, I agree with you. I'm not, generally, I prefer I prefer to see a fresh new matchup anyway. Yeah, I, again, I'm with you there. I, like I said, I could live with it, but I'd rather right. not. And again, it, I think Rose should just take some time and figure out what she wants to do. Um, but yeah. It just, I mean, it sounds like she's, re- it, it sounds like to me, and this is just my personal opinion, it sounds like she's ready to move on, Robert. And yeah. if she wants to move on, she should do that. I agree. I mean, again, she doesn't owe you, me, or anyone else anything. If she's done, then she's fair, be done. Some great fights, some great performances. She's had a great career. You know, and if she's ready to walk away, I mean, she can walk away having been a UFC champion and doing some incredible things in a very short span before she's even 30. Good for her. Yeah. I say all the power to her. 
So yeah, I'm looking forward to what Andrade does next. Again, I I'm not sure how long her reign will be, largely because I'm not sure how long they'll keep Ioana out of the title mix. Uh, and I think there's elements of how she and Tatiana Suarez match up that favor Suarez. There's others that pretty heavily favor Andrade. Uh, Suarez is a, a great wrestler, but her striking is very much a work in progress. So, well, again, if those two were to fight, you wouldn't see something like this, but I think you might see Suarez struggle with, again, the, the punching of Andrade as opposed to the grappling. Fight too. True. Because Rose was beating her to the punch quite a bit in the first round. Yeah. Well, again, Rose is a much more polished striker than Suarez. Like, I almost think that's the best striking we've ever seen from Rose in that first round. It was up there, yeah. Again, there's there's segments of these. Her movement looked really impressive. Her movement, her footwork. Yeah. Again, she did a great job about moving in and out, about exiting at angles, about not getting pressured into the fence. She turned Jessica a couple of times. It was a genuinely great five minutes out of Rose Namajunas in that first round. Genuinely great. A lot of fighters will never put together five minutes like that in their entire career. But again, good main event. Uh, Good for Andrade. Curious to see where that division goes next because there's a few different ways they could take things depending on the outcome of a few fights, injuries, timing, the usual. If we skip the co-main event, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, you don't have to say anything if you don't want to. Uh, Jared Cannonier defeats Anderson Silva via TKO. This was a leg kick that led to a knee injury in the first round. I mean, there was nothing too crazy here. Both guys had interesting kind of things to do on the feet. Nothing crazy. But Cannonier just pretty consistently was landing there because they're opposite stance fighters. Uh, just landed that inside leg kick a few times. Landed one square onto the knee of Silva, and when I say square onto the knee, I don't mean that Silva was turning his knee in checking it, but just straight onto, but onto the joint from the from the side. And when Anderson came down, just nope, that was it for his knee. Uh, he mentioned after the fact that he was nursing a bit of an injury coming into the fight, and this exacerbated it. Which again, fair enough, you know, it happens. But you know, if you're Anderson Silva, you're forty some odd years old. I don't know. Four. 44, thank you. He's only had one win in his last, what, seven fights? Eight fights now? Jeez. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six. He yeah. He got overturned. Because, I mean, yeah, technically. Okay, so he did win the decision against Nick Diaz, but that got overturned. And even the decision against Brunson, I thought he lost. I mean, I'll give him a bit of the pass on the Cormier thing just because literal, like, three days notice or whatnot. So, okay, fair enough. You lose that. But I'm not sure, you know, kind of what we're doing here. Uh, This is a guy who not only has done it, has basically done it all, holds a number of records, is one of the greatest ever. I'll tell you what's going on here, though, Robert. He's a veteran who can't walk away. That's what we're seeing. I, I think there's some of that. I I also think, and this is purely, this is my take on just the UFC's perspective, 
I think the UFC will continue to book him just because they know if they released him, he would go fight somewhere else, and they'd rather he not fight under a different promotion. Uh, would, and we'll get do that. Let him. Well, he's under contract to the UFC. They can just make sure he fights out whatever he has, or that it goes that, that for as long as he's under their contract. And then they'll see what happens. I mean, if he doesn't want to resign with them after his contract's up, he doesn't have to. I just don't want to see him become like Chuck Liddell. Heck, I don't want to see him become like BJ Penn. I mean, I feel like we're getting close, so. We're, again, he hasn't been, he hasn't looked as bad as, you know, BJ has lately, but we're getting there. I agree, we're completely getting there. I'm just glad he didn't get another serious leg break because I was a little concerned because that ending did l- remind me a little bit of the Weidman fight. Yeah, I had some flashbacks. I had a couple of flashbacks, but again, hopefully the knee injury isn't terribly serious. But by the time you're in your 40s, especially with as many, I mean, Anderson's been training pretty consistently for how long now? I mean, he debuted... In what, 97? Anderson? Yeah, he debuted in MMA in 1997. So, 22 years ago. So, when he was like in his early 20s. Because uh, he was born in 75. And I mean, and let's be pretty clear about this. He's been fighting for over 20 years. And I mean, he was almost certainly fighting before that. It just, you know, made, maybe wasn't recorded. Most I mean, likely. I mean the, and the guy's been, you know, training, uh, you know, forever, since he was a very small child when he started training in, you know, jiu-jitsu and lucha libre and, you know, all of that stuff. So this is a guy who's been training for 30-some-odd years at a minimum, probably over. That's a lot of wear and tear, and your body just can't keep it up forever. Uh, and I think we're just kind of at the point with him where, you know, that the age is absolutely becoming a factor in his body's ability to recover from issues. When he was on top, to me, he was the Michael Jordan of this sport. Yeah, he he seemed untouchable. He really did. I just kind of want him to stop. I know it's not my decision. I just kind of want him to stop. But whatever. Not my decision. Um, does Cannoneer deserve credit for this victory? Yeah. I mean, he he caused it. This wasn't... Anderson didn't step wrong and that destroyed right. his knee. He got kicked. He got attacked repeatedly. So, yeah, I give Cannoneer a lot of credit. I give Cannoneer a lot of credit for not sucking up to the Brazilians as they were booing him. He just kind of... He had the, that glorious, he, like... I mean, I mean, what did he expect? What did the journalists expect, asking why? Like, I heard a journalist at, in the post-fight ask him, like, why were you getting booed after the fight? Because, and, because, I, because I kicked, if I, may, if I might quote the late Owen Hart, because I kicked Anderson Silva's leg out of his leg. <laughs> like, of course they're going to boo me. I just beat Anderson Silva. He, he's an American. He beat the hometown hero. I mean, like, why, why do you think... Fan, it, it, what do you think? And I mean, to somewhat compound the issue, that wasn't even like a like a great knockout. Right. You know, if he had 
if he had just like comprehensively knocked, if he had knocked him out with a punch or something, he would have been booed. But you know, injury-related stuff always kind of seems to leave a sourer taste than a than you know a it's more a, definitive it's finish. Thing. It's a good thing Andrade won the main event too, because I mean the Brazilians were not doing very if, well this card. Yeah, yeah, they were on a streak of like what four, five, a lot of losses. Um, yeah, because Tiago Moises beat Holobo then. Brazilian lost, Brazilian lost, Brazilian lost, Brazilian lost, Brazilian. Yeah, they were on like a six or seven fight losing streak. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Nama Yunus had won that fight, there might have been a low key riot of just horribly disgruntled riot, fans. But it would have just been because nor because it's not it's not absolute. Normally, the Brazil you know Brazilians do very well in Brazil. Uh, that's not been true lately. Uh, at fir- at first, when they first started going back to Brazil. Yeah, yeah, their first ones, the Brazilians did very, very well, but they actually put up a graphic uh, in the okay. hype pieces for this fight. That going into this event, uh, the Brazilians were yes. they were at like uh, 30, uh, I can't remember if it was uh, like, uh, like a .32 or a .23, but one of those, they were like, they were less than uh, 33%. Win rate right. for so Brazilians it's not, in Brazil. It's not absolute, but you know it's good. It's good that Andrade was able to send the crowd home happy because it would have been a lot of disappointed Brazilian fans. It would have been a lot of annoyed, a lot of annoyed people walking out of that arena. That's right. very true, especially after watching Silva just lo- lose in that fashion. But good for Cannonier getting a yeah. win. I mean, getting a win over over a forty-four year old declining legend. Let's be honest. That's what happened last night, Robert. I don't disagree. It's gonna it's gonna help his career, yes, but it's not going to move him forward up the pecking order a whole lot, you know. And it's not gonna catapult him. He will move up, but I, but this isn't yeah. like strapping. He's not gonna climb onto a rocket ship. He's gonna move up a rung or two. Not gonna be in a title eliminator or anything coming up, but you know, good on him. I mean, again, you do still have to show up and you have to win those fights. Uh, it's a good sport about it, you know? Look, yeah, I mean, he had no issues with Anderson. Look, remember, uh, Dave, remember Dave Herman? I am aware of Dave Herman, remember yes. 2013, he fought Nogueira in Brazil. and Yeah, I remember old, that fight. He got armbarred. Yeah, an old broken down, an old and broken down Nogueira beat Dave Herman. You know, that could have... That could have been a good chance for Dave Herman to get a to get a you know a, a win over a, a Brazilian legend, but he looked he looked stoned out of his mind and he lost. So there you go. Dave Herman's career is just the most bizarre thing. It's one of the more bizarre things in MMA history. It, it's so weird. Like a guy with potential who could have done a lot more, but I feel kind of wasted wasted it. But whatever. I don't disagree. <laughs> That's where I will be a little critical because I feel like I feel like there's facts to back it up. And then didn't he show up to like the the Roy Nelson fight and just didn't shave like his like anything? He did like a Sasquatch thing where like yeah, like, yeah, just weird. I'm gonna be like Sasquatch or something. I'm gonna be like the Beast. And didn't he lose that fight too? Oh yeah, he got knocked out. Yep. Roy Nelson knocked him out cold. It's <laughs> kind of what Roy Nelson does. Uh, all right. Moving on to another, unfor- uh, if you're a Brazilian, unfortunate result. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky uh, defeats Jose Aldo via unanimous decision. 30-27 across the boards. Um, Robert, I was not impressed with this fight. 
this wasn't a barn burner of a fight. Um, it, I mean, it really wasn't. This was a very intelligent fight. Uh, it was a very deliberate fight. And I mean, they get, this was the first time I think we've seen Jose Aldo completely neutralized. I mean, we've, he's been caught and Connor caught him. Max absorbed what he had to offer and just overwhelmed him with pace and offense. He didn't, and just, look, he didn't look old or slow, though. No, he, he really, again, this was not Aldo being old and slow and broken down. I think this was Volkanovsky having a really good read on him and being able to execute a very, very intelligent game plan. He game planned the fight to a victory, but it wasn't um, a satisfying victory, in my opinion. I mean, you beat Jose Aldo... I mean, twenty-seven across. Everyone agrees on the scores. I wasn't satisfied with that fight. To me, he didn't even really win the first round. The first round was really the first round was very very close. Uh, I frankly, I wouldn't disagree with a ten-ten score in the first round. Um, I heard after the second round, it sounded like the translation could have been off, but it sounded like Andre Pettineris was telling Aldo, "It's either one and one or two and zero, you." Uh, no, no. In the second, in, coming into the third, he told Aldo, "It's either one and one, or you're down two it rounds." It sounded like he was telling Aldo, "You you were up two rounds." I'd I'd have to go back and re-listen. My my I understanding of that was what I heard from the translation. And again, I'm I don't stand by all of this necessarily. I'm doing a bunch of stuff when I'm covering fights. Uh, my understanding was what I heard come across was it's either one and one or you're down zero oh and two. But then Dominic Cruz took. It sounded like he took exception to the cornering on commentary. Eh, he might have. I mean, I like Cruz as a, as an analyst, but over the course of the entire broadcast, uh, he he does again. He's well. He's, a, he's an opinionated guy at times. and here's, here's one thing about Aldo. Throughout his UFC career, he has had trouble pulling the trigger. Especially if he really gets... There, there's been two times that Aldo has really struggled to pull the trigger. One is if he knows he's ahead and just doesn't care anymore. And fair play to him. If you've, if you've clearly won a round and you've, clear, and you've clearly won you know three of the five rounds, then you know what? Or oh, you've clearly won two of the three, and your response to the last round is just, you know what, I'm not going to lose. I get it, and I don't fault anyone for that. The other time he's kind of struggled is if he's uh, if he's overly a combination of a little bit of fatigue and struggling to get his reads going. Uh, this is that happened to him in a couple of different fights where he just had rounds when he couldn't quite get a read on his opponent. And that more than anything else was what was kind of muting what he normally does. Volkanovsky did a really good job of constantly touching him, of constantly giving him looks of giving him fakes and feints and trying to draw things out of him. And while he didn't really draw out a lot of Aldo's counters the same way Max did, he did get Jose just not reacting the way he normally does. And that led to Volkanovsky having success. Again, inside lead leg kicks that just kind of disrupted Aldo. Uh, 
Volkanovsky has some really interesting timing to what he does as well. He does a lot of stuff on like half beats or you know, say you clinch and then you break and there's there's a very kind of predictable rhythm to how the vast majority of fighters, okay, we're here, it's one, two, and then break or it's, you know, click, get close, punch and slide out or slide out, wait a beat, come back in with punches. There's a, there's a really predictable rhythm. It's what we talk about when you talk about a fighter getting the timing down. Okay, if they're here... I know at what point they're going to move to another location. I know at what point in the flow of things they're going to try something different. Volkanovsky's timing and the rhythm at which he fights is very disruptive. There was a, there were a lot of times when he would get close to Aldo, and then on the break, Aldo's pretty clearly expecting an attack, so Aldo makes a defensive gesture, and then halfway through his defensive motion is when Volkanovsky attacks after he's committed himself to a particular course of action. And that's something Volkanovsky is very, very good at, is that again, that just kind of slightly offbeat timing that disrupts a lot of his opponents. I mean, again, look at, uh, I mean, the Mendez fight was a lot more just constant pressure. But he there was, a, there was a bit of that too, especially in the finishing sequence. You can see Chad have Chad expecting a certain timing to things. And Volkanovsky switches that up and just that's where he's able to catch him consistently. So it's a really kind of interesting aspect of Volkanovsky's game that I think flies under a lot of radars and is something that could potentially give Max problems should they fight. Ultimately, this was my preferred result. But what do you do here with Volkanovsky? Does he get the title shot or or what do you do? Oh, it has to be. what What about Frankie Egger? What about Frankie? He's been on the shelf too long. Yeah, but I mean, look, look, we're talking about the UFC here where often logic goes out the window. You see? Fair enough. Uh, no, I, that's true. Fair enough. So logically, I think at, you know, seven wins in a row and just beating the number one ranked guy and former champion Jose Aldo. Yes, in a perfect world, Volkanovski gets a title shot, but... Even though Edgar's been on the shelf, he's going to talk about like he has a claim to a title shot. You know, he had a couple matchups with Max Holloway that never came through. Wasn't Edgar's last fight the at the Ortega loss, or was it the Swanson win? It was Swanson win. Okay, so he's 1-1 one and one in his last two, and that win is over. But he's still ranked in the top five. Which, frankly, I'm not sure he should be, just given the inactivity at this point. Look, Frankie Edgar has convinced the UFC to give him multiple title shots before. That's true. Uh, I, I get, on a purely... On a purely they were warranted, honestly. Especially not all of them were. The second fight with Benson Henderson, um, for example. Um, yeah. I'm just saying... No, I agree that that could yeah, be out well, there in the no, ether. The UFC might try to make Frankie and Volkanovski fight. And look, I love Max, but what if he has more issues going down to 145? That's true. So, okay, as, again, let me preface this. Assuming that Max is going that's, to... That's a big if, and if I had wheels and pedals, I'd be a bicycle and all that. But I can't overlook these things because they've happened quite regularly. Yeah, it, I said before, if Max wants to try to really try his hand at 155, he needs to change elements of his body chemistry, not chemistry, but he needs to change his physiology. 
because while he has the frame for lightweight, he doesn't have the muscle mass for it right now. Right. And if he wanted to make that change, I think he'd be very successful at lightweight. Heck, he could even be in the t- he could become champion there. That's not out of the question. But right. there's a commitment that has to happen to that weight class. And if he does, he cannot come back to 145. That's just I don't think that's in the cards. If Max wants to defend the 145 pound title again, I think it should be Volkanovski. I really do. I mean, I, this guy just beat Chad Mendez and Jose Aldo back to back. I agree, but I've kind of learned recently it's 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 tough to expect rational decision in matchmaking from the UFC on a regular basis. That's true. And while they I think if there was another number one contender they might go with if there was another contender really right there in the title in the picture, they might do something other than that. But you have Ortega who just got beat by Max pretty, pretty convincingly. That was a, that was a largely one-sided affair. You have Edgar who not only lost to Ortega, but has been inactive for the last little bit. And then you have Volkanovsky who's unbeaten in the UFC is on like a 17 fight winning streak. And then Zabit's not quite there yet. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think Zabit's there yet. But I mean, look, I mean, before this situation happened with Dillashaw, we were expecting Cejudo to fight Dillashaw again. Is what they were talking about. So yeah, I, that's what they were going to do. They were ready to do that. So I mean, once well, again, I, again, you're also at that point. You're also dealing with some externalities kind of complicating things. I mean, that would be the rough equivalent. Externalities, Dillashaw being a crybaby. Sure. That he got knocked out and couldn't. And the UFC trying to find an excuse to get rid of flyweight. Okay. But also Dillashaw being a crybaby and continuing his crybabiness on Joe Rogan's show. I haven't. I haven't seen his. If he went back on the show, I haven't seen it. Could handle getting knocked out. Uh, I mean, in fairness, he wasn't knocked out. He was stopped. While while he was Robert, while he was doping on Epo. Come on. I mean, look. I'm not. Look again. I'm just for the purposes of clarification. He was not rendered unconscious. He was stopped with strikes, and I don't. And I was okay with the stoppage. Again, just in the issues of clarity. He didn't like getting stopped. He doesn't like losing generally. I mean, if he's not entirely convinced that, I think if you were, I think he's mentioned this. He thinks that the ref who stopped the Dodson fight back in the day stopped it early. Yeah. Like he's just not a guy who handles loss. And again, fair play. There's a lot of very, very ferocious competitors who don't, and a lot, and you know, maybe, and part of the drive to be that great is intrinsically linked with the, a dislike of defeat. So you know, again, in that sense, I mean, he doesn't owe me being a good loser, you know, fair play. If he's a sore loser, he's a sore loser. I don't have to like it, but he doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't, you know, owe me being a good loser. All right. I think we can do quick hits for the rest of the card. Uh, yeah, I think we can do that. Um, so again, Volkanovsky should be fighting for the belt next. There's a few things in the air again, whether Holloway will actually return to featherweight or make a commitment to lightweight. Frankie Edgar's out in the wings. Uh, Brian Ortega is still in the title in the title orbit, uh, especially if Max does vacate the belt. Ortega is absolutely 
in that title picture. You have Zabit on the rise. There's some things in motion, but from where I sit, Volkanovski should be fighting for the belt. He's on an impressive overall streak. And those last two fights have been, again, this one wasn't the most entertaining fight, but I think if you watch Volkanovski specifically, there's a lot of good things that he does. Um, okay, so for the rest of the card, Loriano Staropoli defeated Tiago Alves via unanimous decision, 230-27, 129-28. I think the sport has just passed Tiago Alves by at this point. You know, he got by for a long time on athleticism, on power, on you know, being a strong guy. And just a lot of his game has kind of been figured out, not even him specifically, but just kind of the way he operates generally has been figured out in the larger sense. So uh, not a great fight, but not the worst thing either. Um, Irene Aldana defeated Betch Kohea via armbar in the third round. Um, Kohea missed weight badly for this fight. She weighed in at 141 pounds. Um, a catastrophic failure for my money. Uh, Aldana, I don't know. There's a lot about her game that's good, but I don't know that she's going to make the necessary improvements to ever get a lot better than she is right now. But again, she's again, she's got some good skills, but I don't know. There's just, I don't know. Something's not quite really connecting and I'm not sure she's going to be able to fix it. But a good win. Uh, the arm bar at the end was really nice. Uh, the way she set it up from the back, adjusted her grip. It, a little bit was improvisational rather than textbook, but it worked. That was a very legitimate arm bar. Ryan Spann knocked out Antonio Hogerio Noguera in the first round. Little Nog is another one of these guys who probably shouldn't be fighting. Uh, certainly not in the UFC. He's just old and slow, and Little Nog's had some great fights. He's had some great victories. He's had some wars. It's just He's over 40, or around 40, and has had, again, training and fights the majority of his life. 40. Okay, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, not like the yeah. greatest, not the greatest win in the world for Ryan Spann, but you got to show up and win those fights, and he did. Tiago Moises defeated Kurt Holobo via unanimous decision, 230 26 is 130-27, uh, I mean, this was all right. It was just kind of there. I don't remember anything terribly interesting about this card. About that fight, rather. Excuse me. Uh, Warley Alves knocked out Sergio Moraes with uh, punches in the third round. A really nice uppercut, actually. Uh, Alves seems to have fixed his issues with his gas tank. Because for a while, that was kind of the big knock on him was he had a good round. And then if you got through that round, he really slowed down and you could kind of put it on him. He seems to have addressed a lot of that, so credit to him. Uh, Sergio Marais also, when he gets knocked out, his body does funny things. I mean, I remember the Kamaru Usman knockout, and he just kind of collapsed and flopped over in a weird way. Here he gets knocked out with an uppercut, kind of the same thing. Uh, Worley Alves is a largely underappreciated fighter. He's very, very good. Um, in your saddest fight of the evening, Clay Guida defeated BJ Penn via unanimous decision, 229-28, Um, Look, I know there were some people who said, oh, BJ had a good five minutes in him, and he was able to hold his own, and he took a decent punch, and, oh, God. No. Vomit. Look, let me be clear about this. 
at a bare minimum, BJ is not a UFC caliber fighter. I'm not entirely sure he should be fighting at all. I mean, this is a guy who has absorbed a tremendous amount of blows, especially over his last, like, four fights. He's on a seven-fight losing streak. He's won a grand total of, like, two rounds in four years. He's 40 years old. And, I mean, the fact that he took a decent punch, it was Clay Guida. All right, Clay Guida is about as close to a pillow fists fighter as you're going to find. The man does not bring power with his punches. I mean, he knocked out Joe Lozon when Joe Lozon was just about done with the sport. That was his first win with strikes uh, in like, what, 10 years? He's just not a power puncher. And BJ even kind of got wobbled by him once or twice. BJ should not be fighting the amount of... And look, again, I know there's a lot of either misinformation or like bro science about CTE. Getting knocked out is not the biggest causer of CTE. It's repeated sub-concussive blows. And when I say sub-concussive, that means it doesn't actually give you a... Con- it doesn't concuss your brain in the same way that you know, getting a concussion does. BJ's not competitive. He had a decent five minutes, but even that barely edged out a round against Clay Guida. Call it decent is an overstatement. I'm sorry. Fair enough. Decent relative to his opposition in this case. And decent probably even relative, and you know, but Decent relative to his third fight with Frankie Edgar. Or his fight with Yair. Or his fight with Dennis Seaver. So, again, if we're talking about relative to his deepest slump, then sure. But it's still not good. It's still not good enough to be in the UFC. And, again, with his history at this point, I'm not sure he should be licensed to fight at all. I it's I don't, I don't know what else to say here. Because I don't want to come across as, you know, just horribly, horribly bitter and just you know, completely crapping on the guy. Put it, but, let him go. Put it on Bellator and let them try to mark it off his zombified corpse. Fair enough. Uh, all right, then on ESPN it's Plus. Not worth, and- it's not worth it. You know, it's not, to me, it's not worth it for the UFC to continue doing this. If I mean- DJ Penn wants to continue destroying his legacy and his his livelihood, all right, let him do it. Don't let it happen. I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't, I don't want it to happen in the UFC anymore. I mean, again, there's a lot of medical information that goes into whether or not someone should be licensed to fight that I am not privy to. I'm not sure. And we know that, fighters fake. We know fighters faking on the medicals too. In some respects, yeah. I'm just, I'm rather leery of any athletic commission that sanctions a BJ Penn fight at this point, especially in the UFC Does against that make it, best person though. No at that point. No, I don't think so. Because I mean I do feel bad to some degree, but I'm like, you know if he wants to continue doing it and just doing it this way, then let him let him go do it elsewhere. Instead of the UFC. Because I think it's it's ridiculous. 
yeah, he is BJ Penn, but he's not that guy anymore. He's just and he ha- and not only is he not that guy anymore, he's showing up and looking awful. Yeah, again, not only is he not that guy anymore, and you know when you reach the heights that BJ did, fair enough, you're not that guy. He's not even he hasn't been that guy in again four or five years. He's worse. He is even longer than that. I'm so longer. I mean, again, at a bare minimum, it's been that long. Uh, It's no way. I I just I seriously question the the ethics of licensing this fight. Seven years, Robert. Okay, six to seven. Hang on. The Rory McDonald fight was in was in December 2012. Nick Diaz was October 2011. Yeah. So again, so since after that was that god awful fight with Frankie Edgar. So yeah, since okay, at a minimum, you know, I might even give him the first Nick Diaz fight because again, not that guy, but some of that's just being a bad, some of that's just a bad matchup. But again, even at that point, he wasn't you know the guy who had been. Tearing through the lightweight division. Uh, it, it's yeah. It, it, we're coming up on a decade since BJ was a remotely, consistently competitive UFC fighter. Uh, it's he shouldn't be in the UFC, and I'm not sure he should be fighting at all. If people are going to continue licensing him and promoting him, it should not happen in the UFC at this point. Yeah. There's, I mean, I mean, look, okay. I will make one exception to that statement. I will make exactly one exception. Feel free. If he fights CM Punk, that's it. You're, you're the worst. And I say that only because I think that's the only level of opposition in the UFC, he is remotely competitive against at this point. Pretty much the only guy under contract he could beat. Yeah. That's what I mean by that. And I don't want to see the fight. Let me be very clear about this. At this point. Uh, Let me be clear. I I don't. I would probably take a prop bet on CM Punk in that fight, Robert. I would blind myself. Um, Look, again, I don't want to see the fight, but yeah, That's, no, I don't. Put it I, out there. I put it out there because Facebook. I. I'm gonna write on Facebook. Robert Winfrey wants a CM Punk versus, versus BJ Penn matchup at welterweight. I absolutely do not, and I'm not the first. I am not even remotely close to the just first person to suggest it, that fight. Just by speaking it, you endorsed it. Other people said it first. I'm just reporting what other people said. You're, you're endorsing it. You said it's your one exception. So that's because I think that's because I think it's the only reasonable exception if we're talking about people under contract in the UFC that I think BJ Penn should be sanctioned to fight. Well, you I mean, that's it. So it's out there. Again, I don't want it to happen, but I think you do. I really don't. That would be the worst thing ever. I kind of think you do. Okay, no, that would be the second worst fight ever because we had this. We had Luana Carolina and Priscilla Cachuella in a fight that... Gah. A terrible fight. Uh, Carolina wins 30-26, 30-26, and 29-27. Priscilla Cachuella shouldn't be in the UFC. They, the UFC dug her up and fed her to Valentina, and Valentina didn't need 
a can crushing, but she got it and she wrote it. So fair play. Uh, we're wasting time with Cashway and the UFC at this point. Um, Hani Barcelos defeated Carlos Joaquin via TKO in the second round. Uh, pretty good stuff from Barcelos. Uh, Joaquin held his own on the feet, but once this hit the ground, he was clearly outmatched. Uh, good on Barcelos. He's he's got a pretty decent. He's what three and zero in the UFC. Uh, so I think three and zero. Decent decent little guy that's emerging. I don't mean that just because he fights a bantamweight. And kicking everything off, Viviane Arujo defeated Toledo Bernardo via knockout 48 seconds into the third round. Uh, Arujo looked really good. Uh, she had really sharp movement, really good in and outs, really good straight punches. Toledo Bernardo striking is like Todd Duffy levels of awful. Um, and then knocked her out in the third. Arujo took this fight on very short notice. Um, like a week and normally fights at straw weight and she just completely knocked out a bantamweight. I'm curious to see what Arujo does down at straw weight because again, for a short notice fight up to weight classes, I, she looked darn good uh, and she had a good run in Pancrase. Uh, I mean, she was their champion, I believe uh, for women's straw weight and had some really good fights, some really good performances. Uh, so I'm curious to see what she'll do at Strawway. Uh, she might be someone to keep your eye on. Uh, all right, that was it. That was the prelims. Um, again, I think if you looked at it on paper and went, okay, this is going to suck, this is going to suck, this could be good, it, it all played out roughly that way. So, Jeff, any other burning desires you have, uh, setting aside the BJ Penn stuff? Really, Alva's got a good win, and... Still think he's underrated. Not a world beater, but he's a tough fighter. Those leg kicks were nasty, man. He welted up the leg of Sergio. Marais's left like thigh and knee looked twice as big as his right. Like he's seven and three, so he's a good guy to have around in the division, really. Yeah, and I mean his only UFC losses again, Brian Barberina, who just put a pace on him that he couldn't keep. Kamaru Usman, who's now the champion, and James Krause, who's another kind of perpetually underappreciated guy. Did submit Colby Covington. Tapped him out with a guillotine choke. I mean, his wins in the UFC, he beat Alan Joban, Nordine Taleb, and Colby Covington in three of his first four UFC fights. That's a pretty good list. Uh, all right, again, that was UFC 237, so thanks to everyone who stopped by. We seem to have uh, one of the livelier comment sections last night, so thank you all for that. Uh, it's nice to have you guys around, to be able to talk with you between fights, to see that you're all hanging out. Uh, I, I always appreciate you know, knowing you guys are out there, because Lord knows there's a lot of places you could get the same content that I produce, and you choose mine, so I I profoundly appreciate that because I am well aware you don't have to come to me. I am not the only game in town and I'm not even close to the best. So thank you very much for that. All right. Next up UFC fight. Uh, excuse me. UFC on ESPN plus 10. I believe this is fight night. One fifty something or other. Uh, your main event. Uh, Rafael dos Anjos and Kevin Lee at welterweight. This is Kevin Lee's welterweight debut. Um, you know, I like this fight. Uh, you have two former lightweights, uh, in, Dos in the case of Dos Anjos, a former champion, uh, a guy who 
was on his way to being an all-time great lightweight. And I think you could still make the argument is, all things considered. Uh, but Dos Anjos is on a two-fight losing streak now. And, I mean, he debuted at welterweight, won three in a row. Then, now, in fairness, again, consider the level of opposition. He lost to Colby Covington and Kamaro Usman, uh, the interim champion and the champion, respectively. That's you know that's a tough series of fights, but he does have to you know break that streak here. And Kevin Lee coming off of that second loss to Iaquinta, and the weight cut just seems to have really kind of gotten to the point where he's just done with it. I, uh, I mean, he missed weight. He missed weight once in the UFC, and a couple of his, a couple of the times he made weight, he looked like death on the scale. I mean, that was a severe weight cut for him. Uh, he's got a freakishly long reach. I mean, his reach is 80-something inches, nearly 80 inches, like 77. So real, he got really long arms. He's only 26, too. Jeez. Uh, tremendous grappling, great back taker. Uh, again, the knock on him at lightweight was usually cardio-related, largely as it pertained, again, as a function of the weight cut. So I'm curious to see how he's going to look up at welterweight. And he's not facing a, a large welterweight either. I mean, again, RDA is not the biggest welterweight on the planet by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, this is a solid fight. I'm a little bit torn about who I'm picking. Because I can see how each of them wins this fight. Uh, you know, when it's this close, I don't mind going sentimentally and... My sentiment leads me a little bit to RDA here, although it's tough. It's a real tough one, actually. Again, I'm leaning towards RDA right now, but that might change over time. Uh, but I, I do like the fight. I think over five rounds, these two guys are going to have a pretty solid high-level MMA fight. So looking forward to it. All right, Jeff, what do you think about this one? I think it's a good fight. It's a good matchup. It's not the worst matchup to make right now for both guys uh, fighting at welterweight, considering both guys are former high-level lightweight fighters. Lee's just making his move up to lightweight now. We'll see how he does. Interesting fight. Uh, I can see it going... I'm torn, because I can kind of see it going either way, but... How many how many losses does Dosanyas has? All right, two back to back losses now, and he's kind of had trouble with uh, tough wrestlers, you know. So this might be a bad physical matchup for him, but we'll see. Yeah, the bigger, especially the grindier wrestlers, have given him problems. But here's the other thing: like I like Kevin Lee, but he also has his flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, that I could very well see Dos Anjos exploiting. Yeah, Dos Anjos is the better striker. Dos Anjos fights southpaw. He kicks really hard. Yeah. Uh, Dos Anjos will absolutely keep a pace for all five it, rounds. Dos Anjos can be dominant in a great... Like, he's a forward like fighter, right? Yeah, he's like, a, he is a pressure-oriented fighter. When he's the one backing up, he's usually losing. Right. If he can do that and set the pace, I feel like he can win. He's I feel like he's capable of winning this fight. 
Oh yeah, he absolutely is. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out because I think whoever's going forward is likely winning at any given point in time. And they're both, again, they're both high level MMA fighters. They're both good grapplers. They both know what they're doing in the cage. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the co-main event, Neil Magny, still plugging away at it. Uh, Coming off of that loss to Santiago Ponzinibbio. Boy, was that brutal. Uh, he's fighting Vicente Luque, who's a largely underappreciated guy in the UFC. Uh, I mean, Luque's UFC record is 8-2. and two. Uh, One of those losses to Leon Edwards, who's pretty darn good. Uh, the other very, you know, on his UFC debut, he lost to Michael Graves, but Graves has since gone on to do nothing. Uh, Luke is on a four-fight winning streak. Has finished all four of those. Jeez. Uh, he's he's poised to kind of make a real move. Luke is again largely underappreciated as a, as a fighter. That said, Neil Magny's a pretty tall order. Um, I don't know that Luke will have kind of just the the raw boned kind of punching power that Santiago Ponzinibbio did. Uh, he's a, he's a much trickier fighter, whereas Ponzinibbio is a bit of a bruiser. And I don't say that uncharitably. Um, Luke has tricky chokes, but Magni also isn't much of a double leg guy. He's much more of a, a clinch and a body lock takedown artist than shooting from the outside and putting his neck in danger. Uh, this, I can see ways for both guys to win this fight. I'm going to lean towards Magni just a little bit, but Magni may have peaked. I mean, I know he's only 31, so there's still a couple of years left when he's still like in his physical prime, but uh, he's, he's really got to get, this is kind of, it's not, you know, completely do or die, but he's entering a pretty critical phase in that if he's really going to make a move, he's got to start doing it now. So I'm going to lean towards Magni, but I think there's some potential for this fight. Uh, Jeff, you're a bigger Neil Magni fan than I am, so tell me how he's going to win. He's going to lose. Oh, a dagger right in the back. Oh, you stabbed poor Neil Magni in the back. Is it wrong uh, that I'm favoring Luke here? No, no. My jokes aside, no, not at all. Luke again. Luke is a really good fighter. Um, I just kind of like Luke right now, and I feel he's got the. Besides momentum, I just feel like he's got a lot of advantages that are going to give Magny problems, and I feel like he's. Magny's not a terrible striker. He has gotten better over the years, but I feel like Luke is a superior striker, and. Uh, I guess the question is, will he be able to deal with the wrestling? And we'll see, but I, I kind of like Luke. Sorry. Right, <laughs> look, look, I was on the Neil Magny bandwagon for a while, but he's also constantly disappointed me a lot. You he's, know, he's stumbled in some really key situations. He's 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 spo- he's spoiled my good faith in him that I put in that I invested into him, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Eventually, I have to take notice. So, could I see Neil Magny winning? Yes, but I, I'm picking Luke. Sorry, Neil Magny. The once former future champion. 
Oh god. If we if we need a list of like guys who were future champions who just never panned out. Stephen Thompson, a yuck. Stephen Thompson's on that list. Magny's on that list. Um, and I don't just mean me. I mean like general. Because I mean I I said about both of those guys. Magny more facetiously than others. But I I would like a list of guys that you know either we've said it about or the larger fan base is kind of picked out that just never quite realized it for one reason or another. Uh, next up, we have a women's bantamweight bout. Aspen Ladd will fight Sajara Eubanks. Uh, Eubanks is making her bantamweight debut here. She was previously a uh, flyweight, but uh, fell out of at least one title fight due to weight issues. Missed weight when she fought Roxanne Modafferi. Uh, she's you know, she's moving back up, and again, if you can't make the weight, fair play, move up. Um, Aspen Ladd is one of those uh, one of the up and comers. She's only twenty four. She's seven and zero, two and zero in the UFC with two stoppages. Uh, there had been some talk about Ladd fighting Holly Holm in a higher profile fight before the UFC moved to Holm versus Nunes. Uh, which I thought might have been a bit much for Ladd at this point in her career, but also, you know, Aspen Ladd could really overperform, and Holly's on the downside. Uh, I have Aspen Ladd here rather comfortably. I, I, I've kind of become a believer in Ladd over her last few fights, so I, I got Ladd here, and I, I don't know, again, Eubanks is certainly not to be overlooked, but I think she's beatable, especially if you're as good as Aspen Ladd has proven to be thus far. So, Jeff, am I wrong? Aspen Ladd. All right. Uh, there's a middleweight fight. Good old shoe face. Antonio Carlos Jr. Uh, fighting Ian Heinish. Um, Heinish is a... Shoeface. Yeah, Antonio Carlos Jr. So for those of you who don't know why I say that, his nickname in Port his nickname in Portuguese is um uh, Cara de Sapato, which literally means shoe face. Um <laughs> so I don't say that to be a jerk, that's actually his nickname. Uh Ian Heinish is uh he's got actually a really nice story, and he's proven to be a a solid fighter, but uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. has a uh, as a as a significantly better level of jujitsu than the vast majority of the world. Um, he's on a five fight winning streak. He's finished four of those. Uh, I I don't have a reason to pick against Shoeface here, so going with shoe face um for some reason we have a third fight between charles Oliveira and nick lentz this fight makes no sense to me neither of their previous fights were all that weird i mean there was the illegal knee in the first fight that led to it being a no contest they rematched a few years later and Oliveira won pretty handily uh, submitted him in the third round now we're doing it again for some reason. Was that down at featherweight? And now we're at lightweight. This is just a stupid fight. Um, 
I need a I need a reason to pick against Charles Oliveira, and I don't think Nick Lentz gives me one, quite frankly. I mean, I think Lentz is the guy who gets overlooked a lot, especially because he's got some quirks about his game. But I just think this is a bad matchup for him. I mean, Oliveira was beating him the first time before uh, that illegal knee. Why is happening again? I don't know. This makes no sense. This is the third time. Yep. Why? I I genuinely don't know. The, again, this is a fight that I look at and go, no. Just <laughs> this makes no sense. I don't understand. I expect Oliveira to win again. Um, it, it, we've seen this. We we know kind of what's up here. I'm I'm so confused, Robert. This was never even something else. Nobody's stepping in on short notice. They just booked this fight again. I mean, they're not even one and one. The nope. first fight got overturned. So, what are they trying? Like, what are we expecting here? I, I just feel it's a. Se- I feel this matchup is a setback for both guys. Honestly, yeah. Other than Lenz, Pot gets the possibility of getting a win back. Maybe. Maybe he gets a win back. But I don't think he will. I don't like this fight. No, I I mean, again, I enjoyed their first two fights for the in-cage action, but this makes no sense. Um, sticking at lightweight, kicking off the main card, we have Davi Hamosh against Austin Hubbard. I expect Hamosh to win this fight. Um, Hamosh is pretty darn good. He's on a three-fight winning streak. Uh, submitted uh, all three of those wins via submission. I don't think Hubbard is necessarily at the level he needs to be to beat Davi Hamosh, but eh, I've been wrong before. But I feel pretty comfortable picking Hamosh here. Any thoughts on this one, Jeff? Nope. All right, as for the prelims, there's a lot of nothing. Uh, Megan Anderson will fight Felicia Spencer. Uh, I don't know what the UFC is doing in theory at, with featherweight anymore. It was not really a division to begin with. Uh, less so now. But Anderson probably wins. Uh, Spencer is another featherweight. She's um, the reigning Invicta featherweight champion, but Featherweight's not, even outside the UFC, it's not really an established division. Uh, So I got Anderson. Michael Trezano will fight Grant Dawson. Eh, Lean towards Trezano, but that's that's, uh, just kind of a there fight. Uh, Desmond Green is fighting Charles Jourdain. Be interesting to see if Desmond Green can uh, keep up some of the offense he got. uh, Offense, momentum he got after uh, knocking out Ross well, stopping Ross Pearson with strikes, I can't remember if he knocked him out or not. Uh, Patrick Cummins will fight Ed Herman in your Dear God Why fight of the evening. Who thought this fight was a good idea? I mean, really. You have Ed Herman on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, four, Just one and four in his last five. Ugh. And then you have Patrick Cummins, who's on a two-fight losing streak. Just ugh. 
I'm not even picking a winner. There are no winners in that fight. Uh, Danny Roberts will fight Mike. Uh, excuse me, Michelle Perea. Um, I'm leaning towards Roberts there, but I'm not sure I have a good reason to. I mean, Danny Roberts is a solid enough fighter, but he's not really, you know, a world beater who inspires tremendous confidence. His opponent is making his UFC debut. I'll go with Danny Roberts, but eh. Um, middleweight Zach Cummins will fight Trevin Giles. Giles is one of those Contender Series alums, right? Yeah, he's won two... Oh, no, he's won two fights in the UFC, though. Okay. Um, I mean, Cummins is decent. Yeah, I'll go with Cummings, but eh. That one, I wouldn't be surprised to see that go the other way. And kicking everything off, Julio Arce will fight Julian Arosa. Uh, Arce, 2-1 and one in the UFC. His only loss was a split decision to Shaman Marais. And Arosa is in the middle of his second UFC stint, I believe. And I, if memory serves, he's 0-2. Yeah, 0-2. Uh, I'll go with Arce there. But... Uh, I mean, I say I—I uh, I don't want to say anything too bad about Julian Arosa because he's a hardworking guy, but his fights are just so uninspired. All right, Jeff, uh, that's a set of fights. Anything stand out to you that you want to touch on? Uh, yeah. Pat Cummins is fighting. Yeah, yeah, he is. No, he was still under contract. I'd hoped he was gone. Um, Megan Anderson is fighting. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. Yeah, that's that's not an inspiring group of fights. <laughs> it's just not. But I will be there covering it. So Saturday, uh, the 18th, stop by, say hello. I always appreciate knowing that someone else is out there. Because occasionally I do wonder about the existence of the world I can't see or immediately perceive. Because who would know? All right. My paranoid discussions aside, um, I want to talk before we get into some of the fight announcements and whatnot about Uf- the buy rate for UFC 236. Uh, because there's been some estimates now kind of bandied about, and the one I heard was around the 100,000 buy rate mark, which might in fact be high um, as far as the actual numbers go. So, Jeff, you'd heard a little bit lower, I seem to recall. Well, if I'm reading this report right, Melcher says less than half of 200,000. Okay. So, so yeah. So, it, it had to be under 100,000 then at that point. Assuming there's not some stupid linguistic quasi-trickery going on. Yeah, you're looking, so again, around the 100,000, which might actually be on the high side of things. Now, it, it, it's however much stock you want to put on the Wrestling Observer numbers, but that's what, that's all we, that's all we ever really get until, I mean, until UFC becomes a publicly traded company, which there's talk that might happen at some point. Um, we never hear their number. Paper. That 
that might not be the case anymore. And I bring that up very specifically because ESPN is. ESPN is owned by Disney. Yes, but ESPN does not own the UFC. No, so but but they that. might hang on, but they might be required by uh by uh SEC laws to oh, release the amount of buys that occur through the ESPN Plus app. I don't know. I don't know SEC bylaws and what have you, but we'll see. And again, I'm not sure, but in you know when Disney releases their stock reports, when they're you know. I mean, we, we aren't getting official numbers yet, so something well, tells me we, they don't have to. Well, we're not getting them from the UFC, but that but, also doesn't but, mean that they they won't be reported in other financial documents. To me, those rules seem very amorphous because Netflix is a publicly traded company and we never get Netflix numbers. Again, they might release it to people who they might release that information to stockholders, but under condition that it not be shared. So there's there's a lot of wiggle room. But all, I, all the numbers we ever get from Netflix are are from like analytic companies and not official and not official numbers. So yeah, again, it's yeah. A, it's a thing, and I'm I mean, it might like be that we never get them, but I I think it will be worth paying attention to some of the financial reports that are released you know, by Disney and whatnot. Political polls. Look at the last election, presidential election. And again, there's a lot of stuff that's, I mean, the polling data was actually not as inaccurate as a lot of people make it out to be, but I mean, if they were all wrong to me, they are inaccurate. The vast majority of them were within the margin of error. That's, 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 that is the most flimsy excuse I've ever. Oh, heard. that's how analytics work. You there's well, all there's always a margin most, of error. Analytics are garbage. There's always a margin for error. There analytics always is. the The real issue is less. Does it is analytics, it wrong? Is as far as is it outside the margin of error? Said, analytics don't work in the playoffs, and they don't. I mean, they kind of do. Not really. <laughs> They're a lot more accurately predictive than a lot of people want to admit, but they're also, again, like, again, there's a reason that when we talk about predictive models and whatnot, there is a margin for error because there are just always is all the polls in the, well, all the polls in, well, the vast majority of the polls, excuse me, in the last American presidential election favored Hillary. Stats the don't tell the same stats do, do not always tell the whole story. That's true. So again, I'm I I think it's worth paying attention to the again the the financial reports and whatnot that uh, ESPN will release whether or not they do dis they are going to have to disclose that information or whether or not they don't. But again, it, it'll be worth paying attention to to see if it's going to come out in that location. How many people buy it through the ESPN plat Plus platform? Because again, that still won't account for Canada. Uh, Canada has a different pay-per-view business model, and the UFC is not on pay-per-view in different countries. Uh, different regions have different Here's rules. what I have to say about these numbers. They are not encouraging numbers. However, in the UFC's defense, this was the first time they were doing a pay-per-view event through ESPN+. Plus. So... And there's a learning curve. There, there, yes, there's a curve, and there's... all. 
to me, this is a mulligan. Now, if this continues to happen through International Fight Week, I would say they are not in deep trouble, but they are in trouble where they need to rethink things. And they need to figure it out. Well, it it provides an interesting circumstance because the U, the licensing fees that the UFC gets from ES because again ESPN is paying to have the UFC on that app for pay per view. Is, is ESPN going to be happy with subpar pay per view numbers for these events? That's a big question. Um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine they would be. Yeah, again, I, I don't know for sure. Again, I it just needs to be. And, uh, and, I don't. And I, I have major problems with this ESPN model because we're already paying a subscription service either monthly or annually for ESPN Plus. And then we're paying another $60 to view the event. And like the best they can do is like you get $30 off one event, correct? That uh, was the deal. Something like that. That was the deal I recall when they first... I feel like that's not a great deal. Like, it, if this is a... I, I understand that pay-per-view providers have a, have a large hand in determining the prices of pay-per-view events. For example, I believe it was just reported that Double or Nothing this month is priced at $59.99 on in-demand pay-per-view. So I understand that the pay-per-view providers have a hand in that. However, I feel like if you're going this digital streaming model, I feel like you have to figure out sort of more of a, I don't think it has to be a bargain deal, but I feel like it has to be a little less steep because I feel like you're not getting much of a great deal if you're paying for the subscription service. And you're paying another $60 on top of that to view the pay-per-view. It's not a good deal. I'm sorry. Uh, or am I, I, I don't look what you feel is worth your money is what you feel is worth your money. I do you think it's a good deal? Eh, I don't know at the moment. Not so much. I think it probably will be in the future. But $60 plus the plus the four ninety nine. Well, again, a lot of that is you know, what what value does the... I don't understand what you mean when you say it will be in the future. What does that mean? I think the value for ESPN Plus right now is very low. I think that will go up as more content is moved on to that platform. Such as what? I don't know. I mean, look, I, you're talking... That doesn't sound very optimistic. Okay, fine. What if they, what if they say... What if they announce that in two seasons... All NCAA basketball is exclusive to ESPN+. Plus. I could give two flying... So do I, but no. that's a multi-billion dollar venture. I'm not paying... I don't care, but I don't, that's I'm not, not to say there's not value. But that has nothing to do with the UFC. So, I know. If you're a UFC fan and you're only doing this because of the UFC, What what is the value? The UFC. If you, That's the argument. I mean, okay, if you're not, a, I if, mean... I, if you want all the ESPN Plus events, maybe, but what about the pay-per-view situation? It's still pay-per-view. To me, you're not you're not giving a very compelling defense. 
I mean, look, my argument here is not that it's the best thing in the world. My argument is if you want to talk about is this a is there an appropriate amount of value for the financial investment? Is there value for is there value in this for UFC fans? Considering that ESPN Plus has the fastest access to the category to the catalog of fights that take place on that platform, yeah, I think there is. It, including for the pay-per-view model. Look, if you think a pay-per-view is not worth 60 bucks, don't pay. That's a surprising attitude coming from you. Why? I'm I genuinely curious why. There, there have been plenty of... Something you would say. There have been plenty of pay-per-views the UFC has put on that I said I didn't think were worth the price of admission. Okay. If you, if you come across one that you don't think is worth your money, don't buy it. I just think... I feel like we're being sold a bill of goods like that this is great for everybody. It's not great for everybody. <laughs> I mean, uh, let me be, let me be clear about if, this. If you're a, a UFC champion and you rely on those pay-per-view bonuses to get a significant paycheck. Yeah, you're getting, right you're now, getting the shaft. It's not looking like a great deal. No, unless, you, unless they can build this up and make it better. Right now, if you're right now, if the bulk of your paycheck comes from pay-per-view points, if you're Connor or Brock, who let's face it, make the bulk of their the bulk of the money they earn when they fight is not their disclosed purse. It's pay-per-view points that they get for the size of the now, event. I don't know if this is true. Apparently, the ESPN Plus deal is a big reason why the Brock deal didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people who mentioned that recently that Brock looked at that model and said, okay, I want a bigger upfront payday. And the UFC said no. And he said, bye. Uh, and if Connor ever fights again, I think it's going to be a big point of contention. I mean, you know, all flaws aside, Brock Lesnar does not need the UFC at this point. The UFC arguably needs Lesnar more than he needs them. Agree. I would agree they need him more than he needs them. I don't think they need him at all. I mean, for a big, for a big show, to get a big name, a big show, and a big, you know, some big gates and, and all that. I mean, they do find they do find enough gates already. True. They, I mean, it's, they're really okay gate wise. And again, part of the deal with the part of the reason the UFC is so happy with this deal with ESPN is. The licensing fees that they get, and I heard, I think it was, I heard Luke Thomas report this number. So if you, how accurate you want to, how accurate it is, fair play, but that the licensing fee from ESPN is roughly the equivalent of 500,000 buys per event. They're paying a lot of money to be exclusive for this. So the UFC now cares almost not at all about selling. Numbers don't improve. How long ESPN will be okay with that? Yeah, that that's the big that is the big uh, you know, the big elephant in the room. Like is how is, long is ESPN going to be okay with lower? Like is there a buyout clause to this deal? Like could no they? No idea. We don't know. I don't know. It's a it's a valid question. You know what? Are there any contingencies in place for ESPN to protect itself financially if they can't get this really up and running? It's a good question. Stranger things have happened in television broadcasting. Boy, ain't that the truth. Look at TNA Wrestling. It got kicked off like two networks in like a year. 
Oh, I mean, stranger things than that have happened on broad on like major network major network television. You know, look like, what happened he, with he, he got kicked off like a travel channel called Destination America. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Fox canceled uh, Married with Children, which is one of their juggernauts. Like when everyone thought they were going to show up and start shooting again, real last minute thing. Yeah, but that show it happens. Has been on a long time. Eh. True, I'm just saying, you know, weirdness like that happens. It, television's broadcasting's a weird, weird business then, in that you know, respect. With the Simpsons, you know, whenever negotiations come around, there's always a big thing about negotiations and how much they're going to pay all the voice actors to stay on and all that. But that's a whole that's a whole other subject. But so it, it again, I agree with you that you know, as far as this yeah. event, it's not. We shouldn't be panicking just yet because, again, first event, it was on relatively short notice. I right. I seem to recall this. They announced that thing, what, like a month out, less? Now, I did it for this one. I'll say all the interface options for the pay-per-view for ESPN Plus were fairly easy to follow and hook up and everything. I watched it on my TV through my PlayStation 4. Um, okay, I have to ask you this very so, quickly then. Okay. Could you purchase the pay-per-view through the PlayStation? I probably could, but I didn't this time. I okay, didn't. I, could, that, I, I bring that up specifically because that was a big point of confusion about 236. I mean, I've made, I've made financial purpose, uh, excuse me, purchases through the PlayStation 4 before, so... Yeah, I, I know that's something that PlayStation offers, but for two for UFC two thirty six, there were no in app purchases on ESPN Plus. If you wanted to buy the pay per view, you literally had to do it through your computer's web but browser. But I mean, that took me like two seconds, you know. So I, I didn't even I didn't even give it a second thought. My, I, 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 once you know once you know that it has to be done that way, it's right. uh, it's easier. But for a lot of people who just downloaded the app and were trying to watch on a tablet or a smart TV, and they couldn't get it to work. It was confusing and frustrating, and frankly, I don't blame them for that. I'm a pretty good. I'm pretty good with. I consider. I. I'm not like a techno whiz, but I consider myself pretty good with technology and figuring out stuff. And and I feel like this wasn't tough to figure out. I feel. I felt like for this event, it was fairly straightforward. Okay, here's this. Then I'll check this, and then I'll be set to go. And when and when I logged in, when I was logged in, and it was time for the event, there were no there were no issues last night. Uh, getting the because one, you just have to make sure you have the proper login and you made that purchase earlier. So as long as you're logged in and you made the order, you should have no problems. Lo- loading the pay per view was seamless, um, and the pay per view stream had no issues running on the PlayStation 4 app. So all that worked out fine. Yeah, so, again, I, I think the big issue that a lot of people had was in-app purchases versus only being able to buy via the via your web browser. And I think they're working on fixing that. I'm not sure about this one, but I know they are working towards adapting that in the future. Now, now, now I got to be honest. Like six, seven years ago, I probably would have been more reluctant to moving over to a live streaming model. But I feel like in the last few years streaming services have proven it can be done and done well and you aren't losing fidelity uh, and you're still getting high level content. So I'm not, 
really against it now. It, 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 and it does take, and sort of the transition of moving on from the old models and the way we used to view things, it, it is a bit of an adjustment, but everything last night worked, so I don't really have, on, on its premise, I have no problem with it. It just, some yeah. of the pricing method is where I take issue. Yeah, we're at a point where the technology for streaming an event like that is perfectly is can handle it you know, rather easily. So right, like live streaming, for the most part, works. Yeah, when, when it works, it works very well. So if you, so I I I'm not opposed to uh, companies like the UFC moving closer to a streaming model. Um, and honestly, there might be a point where monthly pay-per-view events are no longer a thing, and I wouldn't be against that either, but we'll see, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of directions that, you know, the market can go from this point, so, uh, it, it's an interesting time. We're hit, we've hit a pretty significant technological advancement that, can go a lot of different ways as far as that goes. Um, loosely related to that, before we move on to the fight schedules, uh, I think ESPN announced that they have like 2 million subscribers for ESPN Plus very recently. I think uh, that because it is ESPN. If so, good for them. That's a that's a good number. What, so, what about, what is this, what is, what has happened to Fight Pass though in the last six months? Uh, it, Oh god! There it, are no there are no live fights on Fight Pass anymore. Uh, the, there are some early prelims that like like last night's for UFC 236. Okay. The early prelims were available both on ESPN Plus and Fight Pass. But in terms of events, I don't think they're doing events no. on Fight Pass anymore. No, they're not. So at the moment, Fight Pass uh, is the home to other. Fight. They host other fight promotions. I had like Submission Underground was going on as we were recording. Uh, they do a few MMA events. They have the Roy Jones Jr. boxing promotion that they stream. They do, um, I think, Pancrase streams for them. That you obviously think MMA. Anthony Joshua fight that might happen on Fight Pass. I don't even know if that's possible, but I doubt happen. it. Uh, Joshua's that fight. Anthony Joshua is not a cheap fighter. Uh, yeah. they, if they want, if they wanted accessibility Anthony through that, it's about working with Anthony Joshua and who is Joshua's promoter. I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, I'm not sure what his, who's going, his, Eddie, my, Eddie Hearn, you know, Eddie Hearn, uh, vague by reputation. I, I, mean, believe, he's, I believe Eddie Hearn is a promoter for. Anthony Joshua, and I feel like there was some chatter about that recently. Uh, there was probably talk about it, but I don't think anything will come of it just yet. Uh, again, a few years ago, the UFC let go of all the people who wanted to make Fight Pass a thing. Okay, here we go. So late last month, it was reported that Dana White met with Eddie Hearn, who is the promoter for Anthony Joshua. So, yeah, I imagine nothing really came of it. Um, it's just been to just you know get some headlines and some clicks, but we'll see. Yeah, just because again, and look, Anthony Joshua is from where, in my estimation, the best heavyweight boxer on the planet, and he commands a hefty, hefty price tag. Uh, that man makes 
tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars per fight. And I, and I don't think the UFC is going to put that, like, maybe they confront some of it. I mean, they might do a thing where the pay-per-view is available partially through fight pass. They can be one of the carriers, but I don't think a whole lot is going to come of that. You could be right. Now, again, at the moment, Fight Pass is mostly, again, other promotions that they're giving kind of a platform to. Um, And eventually, a lot of their other fights do kind of migrate to Fight Pass, but ESPN Plus has a lot of the catalog of the stuff that takes place on that platform. So while it will move over eventually, it's much, much later. So Fight Pass is kind of just a bizarre entity at this point. It's something that I think they keep around because that it was already in place. Uh, if it had, I don't think there would be any internal push from the UFC to create it if it wasn't already in place when a lot when they had a lot of their staff turnover. So that's the impression I get. Okay. They don't seem to care about adding oh. a tremendous amount of value to it. So let's get into the schedule. Yeah, because the UFC announced the rest of their 2019 schedule in terms of dates and name and events. There's a lot of these that do not have venues yet. Q3, Q4. Yeah, we're we'll going through the rest of the year. And there will be a live fight on ESPN too. So we are getting it. We are getting at least one event on ESPN too. That's fully ESPN two. Uh, that's the October 26th right. card. Yes, Which I'm not opposed to. I feel no, like. I'm- I feel like we should get more ESPN2 material. I feel like we're getting... My problem with this deal is I feel like it's a little too ESPN Plus and not enough ESPN and ESPN2. It's my feeling. Well, so, there, that is where the bulk of the events are taking place is ESPN Plus. So. Yeah, well, I would like... I'd be fine with more ESPN2 events, so... Agreed. Okay, so 242 uh, is in Abu Dhabi. So, yep. uh, uh, Fight Night Plus, ESPN Plus is uh, on September. September 21st is in Mexico City, Mexico. So they are going back to Mexico. Yeah, they we gave us knew, We already knew 241 uh, was in Anaheim. Anaheim. Yeah. So they're saying seven pay-per-views from July to December. And let's see what else. Yeah, again, they just fle- they just uh, they just announced dates mostly. Right. They a lot of these don't even have venues yet. Right, so. venues or city or locations. So we're still waiting on those. So. Yeah, there's st- there's still a lot that's kind of being hashed out. But I mean, I like the ESPN two thing. I just wish there was a couple more. But yeah, we're looking at let's see here I four. Think they- I still think they need less monthly pay-per-views on this deal. Now we have four events in June, four events in July, uh, four in August, four in sept, four in September, four in October. Seven pay-per-views in six months, though. Is one is is one going to be like two or three weeks apart? Uh, let's see. We have two thirty-nine. I see. There are two in July. Two in July, three weeks. Yeah. Because 239 and 240 are both in July. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, we're gonna have four. We're gonna have four events every month until November. Then November and December, we'll both have three. It's basically a fight a week. Pretty much. And you'll be staying busy. Ah, eh, my bank account's happy for that. <laughs> God, I die a little inside every time I make that joke. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right. As for the fights themselves, the UFC announced uh, again a hyper violence fight. A bit of the old ultra-violence, if you will. UFC 238 is getting... You know, I know the UFC said they wanted this card to be a little bit uh, more fleshed out, but even without this fight, I thought 238 was a pretty good card. But uh, Tony Ferguson is back and will be fighting Donald Cerrone in a featured bout for 238. This will be just behind the two title fights. I'm sad this fight is only three rounds. I am deeply sad that these two maniacs aren't going to butcher each other for the full 25 minutes. Um, I love this fight. Obviously, these are two action fighters. I don't think either of them has ever had a boring fight. Uh, these, I, I, I have nothing but love for this fight. I hope it holds together. I expect that fight has two very, very violent fights on it. Uh, you have Jimmy Rivera and Peter Yan, which is violent. Ferguson and Cerrone, which is violent. And then you've got the serious violence potential of Marlon Moraes and Henry Cejudo. Uh, I am I am really getting amped up a little bit for this card. Um, Ferguson and Cejudo, excuse me, Ferguson and Cerrone is a really, really, again, a really great fight. I wish it was five rounds, and I think the winner of this fight is pretty clearly your number one contender after uh, Dustin and Khabib, assuming that fight happens. Uh, so, Jeff, I know you're a little torn on this because you like both guys, so what are your thoughts? This fight shouldn't happen. Oh, no, no, we must see the violence of the boogeyman and the cowboy. Ferguson is the number one contender who should be fighting for the title, period. Period. I, I I don't disagree. I mean, again, if there wasn't the Poirier situation, you know. But, you know, I'm I'm okay with this. Have him fight Poirier. Eh. You, you, at that point, you're just needlessly muddying the waters. Muddy, I say muddy the waters. We have it. We have a return Waters date. Are already muddy because of Poirier and Khabib and Connor. So we have a return date for Khabib. There's, I, I think, I think you at least try to let that play out. If that fight falls through, strip Khabib if he's the one that falls out. Tony and, Ferguson has been denied an actual title shot for far too long, and it's a tragedy. This fight should not happen. Unless it's for a title, that simple. And I'm not changing. And I'm not. And you know what? I stand by this. I'm not changing my mind. I would love for this to be five rounds for the interim, interim lightweight title. The super, the super interim title. Yes. This is the this is the the, the holder of the super interim title. It's not actually a belt. It's a medal you have to wear around. But you get to. But if the interim champion falls out, you get to become interim champion. 
we've just we've just reached this point with the sport where I can even suggest that, and I suddenly realize it's not the dumbest thing. I mean, it is the dumbest thing, but it could actually become a reality. So, Ugh. again, I love the fight in terms of the fight because uh, Cow- Cowboy my, and Ferguson are going to try to kill each other. Here's my other issue: I'm not sure if Ferguson should even be back in the cage. It's not my decision, but I don't even know if he's doing okay and what his mental state is. I agree. It's a it's you know a question that we have to be aware of. That said, this is one of those things that, barring actual evidence, I'm prepared to kind of go a little bit with the the people who do have all the relevant information. I mean, if the man suffers about, another breakdown around about, this fight, I need evidence that he's. Mentally fit enough to fight. I mean, his wife dropped the restraining order against him. I mean... I mean, what does that really mean at the end of the day? I mean... It means she no longer has the same concerns that she did when she filed it. I mean, we... I mean... I'm not saying that's what's going on here, but there have been situations where abuse spouses do... do return to their abusers. True. So again, I mean, look, take it with as much salt as you feel necessary. But I, for the for the for his first time back from that event, I'm prepared to ice. I, I'm prepared to kind of go along with the notion that all parties are acting in good faith. And I may be wrong. Fair enough. And I might look stupid. Wouldn't be the first time, but at the moment, I'm prepared to kind of go along with the people who have all the information about Tony and what he's going through, what steps he's taking, trust that he's in a healthy enough space to compete mentally. I think it's a fair question to ask. I also, again, at the moment, I'm I'm okay going along with... I'm okay accepting the prop, the preposition... Proposition, excuse me, that the UFC is not being overly exploitative in this case. Let me just say this. The fact that his wife dropped the restraining order is not good enough for me. What would you consider good enough? Do you want his therapist notes? I mean, it'd be, yeah, it'd be nice. You want to violate his medical privacy to satisfy your, what, qualms about him fighting? Yes. You're a fan. I am you, a fan. You, you get none of that. I am a fan. We get none of that. I am a fan, and because I'm a fan, I am concerned for his well-being. Is that wrong? No, I'm concerned for his well-being, too. But I also know that, I, I mean, again, I don't want his therapist notes made I public. I, I, would want... like to hear, I would like to hear from him. I would like him to make a statement. I would like to okay, see him just showing that he's doing okay. And even... Something, I'm not saying it, look, fighters lie, I know that, but I would like to be fair, I would like to walk away from something fairly convinced saying, okay, Ferguson is doing better and he's well enough to fight. That is what I would like to see. I would, even if you, even if you would do a great job of fooling me, fool me. That's, I mean, convince me. Is, is that so wrong? Yeah. Not really. I mean, kind of, but I'm not going to belabor that. I, I don't think I, it's worth getting into. I would like to be convinced he's in a sound state is what I would like. Okay? That's what I would okay. like. Fair enough. And the wife, dropping the, the wife dropping the restraining order is not good enough for me. Okay, so how about 
the fact that his therapist is signing off on this. Would that be sufficient for you? I, I, I mean, I don't know the therapist from Adam. The therapist could be a quack. Could be, I mean, he could be a, a charlatan. I don't know. Do you know his therapist? Nope. Do you know that his therapist credentials? Nope. There you go. I'm just ask again. I'm asking you what you would consider. I mean, sufficient Casey evidence. Casey Hudson claimed uh, when he came back to Bioware that they were going to avoid crunch time and abusing the workers. And that was in 2017. So I mean, again, Casey, I'm I'm just asking what you would consider Casey Hudson adequate evidence. I would like to hear from. I would actually. I would actually like to hear from him. You know, talk to Ariel Hawani for an hour. Okay, I imagine that will be in. I again, he's going to do media in the build up to this fight, so we'll get a better sense at that point. For whatever value you want to ascribe to that. Even then, I'm not. I'm not promising that would be enough. But I would. I. I feel like just hearing these things to me are not enough. Okay. Uh, let's see. BJ Penn, BJ Penn has been clear has been cleared in all these fights. Also true. So what does that tell you right there? So I mean it doesn't mean a whole lot at the end of the day. Which uh bothers you because deep down you know I'm making a good point. No, no, I'm I'm a I'm debating the whether or not I want to get into the overall ethics of actually sanctioning fighting at all. At this point, because that's kind of the point you're butting I up mean, against. There is a, I mean, I'm I'm ready to have that argument. I would have that argument. Eh, maybe some other time. I, I realize we, we've been at this for a few hours. I and I don't really want to. <laughs> let's move on. Uh, let's see. Um, oh yeah, the UFC announced uh, the return of Nate Diaz. He will be fighting Anthony Pettis at welterweight at UFC 241. Um, I mean, okay. I can live with it. Uh, it's a winnable fight for both parties for different reasons. Uh, it'll serve as a perfectly acceptable uh, I get featured bout on that card. You have Nate relatively close, close-ish to his hometown. You have uh, Anthony Pettis, who coming off of a highly, pump, uh, very, very big win, his first uh, a pretty big knockout. So, I, again, I can live with it. Uh, Jeff, I suppose the big question is, does, does this fight actually come to fruition? No. Okay, who falls out? Both of them. The likely scenario. I mean, in Nate's defense, while Nate is a bit of a giant bundle of issues from a promotional standpoint, he doesn't fall out of a lot of fights once he signs on the dotted line. Uh, somewhat by contrast, we have Pettis, who historically <laughs> is made of glass. Both of them are going to simultaneously fall out of this fight. Because Conor McGregor attacks the bus they're on? Just I saying. Just, I just feel like the, the history, history is not on their side. That's true. And I That's very like, true. 
history is on my side for my prediction. Yeah, that's that's very fair. So if the fight comes to fruition, I actually kind of lean towards Nate, but just, just book Nate Diaz's trilogy fight with McGregor and call it a day. If they could make it work, I'd be okay with that. I mean, I'm not. I wasn't the biggest fan of either of their fights. I took a not a mountain, but me McGregor isn't even relevant as a title contender at this point. At the yeah, he needs another win. He needs another win before he can become relevant. I would probably pick him over is Donald Cerrone. You know, I might pick him over Poirier in a rematch, just because. you know, I can see that. I can kind of see that. Fair enough. I mean, I mean, again, Poirier's fixed a lot, some of the issues he had, especially his defensive, his perpetually repetitive defense that he had in their first fight. But there's, again, I might lean towards Connor in that fight, just kind of how they match up. But I, I agree. He needs a win before he can be back in the title picture. And uh, right now he doesn't have it. Uh, let's see. Did they announce any other fights? Because again, Nate was kind of the big, you know, the Diaz and Ferguson fights were kind of the big ones. Uh, let's see. I think, yeah, I think that was, that was it for major fights as far as uh, things that got announced. So, uh, was there anything else that any other major news items that broke that we wanted to touch on? That's about it for me. Alrighty then. Uh, what do you got to plug? All right, check out my new reviews of Detective Pikachu, which was still only number two this weekend due to Avengers Endgame. Also check out my review of the awful uh, biopic Tolkien, uh, excuse me, Tolkien, uh, based on the life of J.R.R. Tolkien. It was a flaccid, awful biopic for Tolkien. Tolkien in his life, and they did not do a good job. They should have hired Jack Hager, because then there would have been the opposite of Flaccid. Uh, what do you think he would have done? Oh, did you not see this? No. Okay, I'm not... Oh, I, very briefly about Bellator, uh, because Douglas Lima scored a sick knockout. Uh, beautiful knockout. But Jack, H- Jack Hager beat, like, a truck a, driver or something. A meat pack plant guy. The yeah. issue at hand is what he said after. A, he held on to the choke too long, and I know there's a bunch of morons thinking the ref was at fault here. He was not. Guys, I know the camera angle's weird. You can see that the ref is pulling at uh, Swagger's arm to kind of release the choking arm. He just held the choke too long. Uh, suck it up. That wasn't on the ref. That was on him. Then there's what he said in the post-fight interview. He said, and I qu- let me be clear about this. Anyone listening to this in a public space, we don't we don't do a lot of not safe for work stuff here, and this is not profane laden. It just might be awkward. But he said, "quote I am rock hard with emotion right now. I have a boner." And this is a sport. I- I'm not again. This is not a joke. I'm not making this up. Literally the words that came out of his mouth when he was being interviewed by John McCarthy after that fight. It, it was bizarre. So I just had to make, I just had to get the play on words there from your, 
adjectives for that movie. I'm not, again, I wish I was joking, but I'm not. <laughs> this happens in this sport. I, uh, elsewhere on the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast, I recently interviewed the producers of Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, the season finale airs on May 15th and will be about Fabulous uh, Moolah. We talked about that, the Montreal Screwjob, uh, and all sorts of other business. Uh, so if you'd like to check us out on iTunes or YouTube, it's the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast. Uh, give that a listen. I would appreciate it. Uh, the next reviews I will be doing, first will be Rocket Man, uh, another biopic. This one's about Elton John. Uh, the amazing singer and musician. Anyone else really sick of musician-based biopics? I mean, it, it, it feels weird this is coming right on the heels of uh, uh, the Freddie Mercury, does it not? Look, I just think that musician-based biopics have been a stale genre for like 10 years. Well, I mean, the, I mean the, the Freddie Mercury one did not get good reviews. Uh, and after that, I lost... It's confirmed I will be reviewing Disney's Aladdin, so be on the lookout for that uh, the week it comes out. So I'll be seeing Disney's Aladdin. So. I hope you have Re a good time with that. Uh, another review I did, uh, in, if anyone here likes anime, if anyone's listening likes anime, I also reviewed Kogias, uh, Lelouch of the Resurrection, which is the new uh, continuation of the franchise uh, in the anime. Did they seriously bring back Lelouch? Yes. Oh, God, why? Well, I mean, I mean, to make money. I mean, he, sure, he's a compelling character, but he had the best, like, his yeah. death was about as well set up as oh. you could, and executed as you're going to get. The thing is, they, they, the, this new movie they made, is a, it's a continuation of the compilations. So, oh. and this is what, this is what greatly upset me about the movie is that it ignores the entirety of the of the series. It goes off of the compilation films that retold the story and that there are important events in the compilation films that are basically avoided or just wiped clean. So it's it's not only a continuation, it's it's a it's a retcon. The whole movie the whole movie is basically a retcon because they retcon the entire series out of the out of existence, which greatly annoys me because the series is how I got into this whole thing. So that was my big sticking point about the film. Um, and yeah, I don't think it's a big spoiler to say Lelouch is still alive. So if you want, I mean, considering the title, <laughs> yeah, it's it's in it's in the title. It's in the freaking poster. It's in the trailers. I mean, yeah, he's not dead. It's like he's he's alive at the beginning of the movie. So, and even his resurrection is explained in a very kind of lampshady, haphazard kind of way. But whatever, you gotta you gotta make look. Anime producers gotta make money too, Robert. You know, I, know. Gotta, I, I, gotta, I get it. They gotta keep the lights on because those those guys are the animators are worked are worked are worked terribly hard over there. So oh, yeah. they, got, they got kids to feed and stuff. So hey, yeah. if, the, if the market responds, fair play to them. I'm, I'm going to keep an artistic critique, but I, I never, I very rarely complain about things on the basis of, well, how dare you when, again, there's financial realities to running. You'll these get things. a better job 
than the Evangelium Rebuilt project. Screw those films. And quite frankly, screw you, Hideaki Anno. Screw you. For those, for what you did. You know what you did. All right, as for myself, uh, Tuesday there will be a Damn You Hollywood. I can't remember what we're reviewing, but uh, Mark and I, and I think Alexis will be there to review it, so tune in. That'll be fun. Um, I'll be back on, again, Saturday for UFC on ESPN Plus 10. Hope you all stop by. That will be in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. I'm just kidding, Hideakiano, just so everyone knows. But I'm still angry about those films. I was just giving you a chance to come to your senses there. Uh, we'll be we'll be back next week to review again uh, Fight Night 152. Uh, that will be it actually for next week. Um, we'll just have the preview and then, or excuse me, the review and then uh, that next Saturday, the 25th, I have a Saturday off. I have no idea what I'm going to do with myself. Uh, then the 26th, we'll be back to preview Fight Night 153. Uh, which is Gustafson versus Smith. There's three light heavyweight fights on that card. Oh, sorry, four. And two of them don't suck on paper. Wow. Never thought I'd see that. Uh, so we'll, uh, again, we'll be back on the 26th to preview that event. So, we'll, again, next week, just a review, and then, of course, any major news that breaks. So... We will see you all then. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Always appreciated. Again, I'm well aware that you can get this kind of stuff other places. Uh, thank you for your support. Please point your friends in our direction if they happen to be fans of the sport. Uh, always trying to grow this. Always happy to take critiques, criticism. So if you got a suggestion or a question or a comment that you'd like addressed, by all means, uh, you can leave them in the comments section on anywhere you find this podcast, and that usually makes its way back to me. And we'll see about, again, addressing some of those. Uh, all right, until then, thanks again. On behalf of Jeff, I'm Robert. Stay safe out there, and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.